Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side. And from Atlanta, Georgia, I am Kurt Dupuy. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Yeah. I'm really good. Good episode today. Feeling good. This stretched just a bit. I think this stretched us outside of our comfort zones. This might have been, and probably the audience will appreciate it, probably the episode I will be most quiet on. Maybe they need like a break from my taking over conversations and running on tangents. But, you know, the topic today was focused on marketing and journeys. And I just kind of sat back and listened a lot here because it's not my area of expertise, but I think it's a really, really awesome topic. Our guest today was Alejandra Slatapolsky. I think I pronounced that correct. That's pretty good, that was, right? that was not bad. It's pretty good. She is, she is a good porteña, which means she's from Buenos Aires. Yeah. So reaching back into my my past life of international sales, it was fun to talk about yeah. all things Argentina. That's one of my favorite countries. That was another thing I was out of my element. Still have never been to South America. That's one I, I must, 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 must. Yeah, we got to fix that. Yeah. So she runs a, an organization, a marketing organization called Scalto. She's been uh, in marketing for a really, really long time. She also hosts a podcast, The Biz of Wealth. Um, she reached out to us, engaged with us regarding our show, how we started. We started to learn about her. It turned to a really great discussion. The trigger word was something that we've discussed internally, which is creating a journey for clients. And and I think we internally, we had discussed journeys as either like new clients or prospective clients, but she had a really good way of thinking about tying the whole process. So existing clients, right, should also have a journey. We should be cultivating an experience for them. Yeah. And thinking about every little part of that journey, that was the key takeaway. So you have a prospect, he or she comes in. What do they experience meeting one, meeting two, meeting three, however long that prospect experience lasts? Like, what do you do when that prospect experience uh, drags on? What do you do when they're a new client, when they're an onboarding, as well as the clients that, you know, have been here for 10, 20 years? We should think about what they experience from us as well. So I, I just thought it's an incredible topic and something that we should we should probably dig into a lot more after this. And the second takeaway was depth. So you got to a point in marketing where you're saying, we should do this, or we should focus on this, or this client expects this. I, she kept saying, what I'll do to my clients is ask why, and then they'll answer and I'll go, why again? And by continuing to do that like sort of forceful why questioning, you get to a whole nother, another level of insight typically that, that helps in marketing. Yeah, bring bring out your inner two-year-old and just ask <laughs> why? why about everything. But it, it had this carryover effect in like like niche marketing. She's like, well, like doctors is not a niche, right? Just keep drilling down. Dr. Crosby said niches get or niches get riches. <laughs> and she just doubled down on that. But and also when it comes to your own value proposition, you know, again, like just go deeper. So she was she was big on the whys. So great interview. Thank you for Alejandra for coming on to our show. Do us a favor. Um, anyone listening, you like the show, share it with a friend, hit subscribe, give us that five-star review, make a comment, all that stuff gets us in front of more people. And we have big, big, big growth plans for the show in 2022. So we'd really, really appreciate that. So without further ado, here's our interview with Alejandra. Alejandra. 
And today we are excited to welcome Alejandra. And it's going to be everything I can do to to not throw side off and, and interject a little bit of Spanish in, in here. But one of the, the things um, I was excited to learn is that you are Porteña from Buenos Aires. Argentina is a country that is very near and dear to my heart. Do you have a couple of wine, uh, like good Mendoza wine recommendations, that brands that you like? Of course, uh, Malbec, you have the Alamo. I'm not that big of a wine person, but Alamo. Oh, you put me on the spot there. What's the other name that everybody loves? He tends to do that. Coppola. Oh, Coppola. Coppola. Really good. I know what I'll be looking at the store to, uh, ne- next time I go. But as we often do, we, we feel like people are often better at telling their own background and their own introductions better than us. So why don't you give the audience just a sense of your background? I know you have some moving parts with the companies that you're associated with. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So as you said, I'm Argentinian. I have a background in PR and marketing and actually journalism. And when I came to this country many years ago, I specialized in financial services. Well, actually my whole life, my family comes from financial services. So I merged those two passions, communications and financial services. And that has been my career, basically. I've helped financial services and now fintech companies with their outreach to their clients with the outreach to their prospects and with growth strategies. My company used to be Slata, which was the company I launched eight years ago. And now I merged with another agency called Scalto. We launched with a new partner. We launched Scalto. And Scalto focuses on helping clients with scalability strategies. How to scale from a marketing and communication standpoint. And that means a ton about a word we we spoke a lot that is analyzing customer journeys and working on how to better serve your clients, get more referrals and, you know, just wow them so that your business grows without more hours in your day. Are you B2B or B2C? So are you working with financial professionals directly? It has been both. I've always worked mostly with B2B companies, actually. You know, the B2C strategies sometimes are more straightforward. And B2B, scaling B2B strategies is uh, a bigger challenge. My background comes from investment banking, asset management, brokerage, all the, all of the above. I was listening to an interview you did. You made the comment that, you know, you saw a need for an agency in financial services. There was there was a marketing gap. What was that gap that you saw and how have you addressed it? Well, that experience was very simple. Like you have a need, you go to a market to get it and you cannot get it, Right. And you say, okay, let me fill that need in the market. Right. I was the head of marketing and communications for a boutique investment bank. And I was looking for help in implementing my marketing strategies. But I didn't want to have to train the agency on what a hedge fund was or what an ADR was and how my traders were working in LATAM. So... I started interviewing agencies after agencies after agencies, and they would all come like, yeah, I have a finance background. I work with MasterCard. I'm like, 
you cannot compare MasterCard to an investment bank or a hedge fund. So that's where I saw the need. That is phenomenal. So as you just mentioned, you run your own marketing firm. So we're going to call this segment 10 marketing questions with Alejandra. So let's start with, with the first one. What is journey building? I start with the account opening process always because that's the most challenging one in financial services. And I say, your client is not comparing you to another bank. They're not comparing you to another, not even like another financial advisor. They're comparing you to Facebook or to LinkedIn or to any app that they download. Right. Because that's the experience they have in services now. So that's where I start. So there are five phases, awareness, consideration, and then action. And then you have the relationship building and the loyalty, right? The servicing okay. and the loyalty. I invite clients always to take a look at the whole journey as a whole to see where the greatest drop is first. Many times it's the greatest assumption is, yeah, I need more leads. That's everybody says that. And a lot of the times is look, you have, I don't know, 700 leads and then you have three clients. What happened there? Many times it's about the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I know you, you know, we spoke about this the other day. It's about niche building. Why is niche building so important? Because when you have a niche and you have a clear product that addresses the need of that niche, that conversation will convert that much faster than those 700 will not convert into three, but will convert into many, many more. So it's about seeing where the biggest drop is. It's about seeing the whole experience that the client goes through. I want to just get a sense of how well are we doing at creating journeys for clients? And I mean, I mean, financial professionals and I mean the asset management industry. Honestly, the only ones that are actually really looking at the journey are the fintechs because they look at it as a user experience. The problem with the journeys is that most uh, you know, financial advisors or wealth managers, they look at it as the implementation of technology. And it's not about just choosing your platform because if you're not doing a good job at analyzing what the process is, no matter what platform you have, you're not going to provide a good service or an experience to your client. Many times, like very, very successful asset managers, they have manual processes. Mm -hmm. But what happens in the process is what makes the difference. Just having, you know, a very clear onboarding email, a very clear steps, step-by-step -step servicing, the productization and the clarity of your communications comes way before your technology. So that's where a lot of them get it wrong. I know you're targeted every single day with different platforms. And this is the magic, the magic platform that will grow your clients. And everybody forgets to first say, okay, wait, what do they need? And how are they being taken care of? And sometimes the first homework you have is just, okay, let me do at least a sequence of emails that explains what's going to happen for them. Or a sequence actually that 
interchanges both the email with a human call. I've told this story before, and this is what inspired me to focus on journeys. I had my a mortgage broker. I had to get a mortgage for my house. I started looking for a mortgage. I asked for referrals. That's what you do. Right. And then some friends give me some people. I start calling them. They tell me, just email me your information and I'll get back to you with a you know, pre-qualified qualification or whatever. I was like, okay. And then I would email like my financial statements. I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually wouldn't get back to me or call me and say, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it would be one, two days. And then one day I just Googled and I landed a rocket mortgage. And, you know, I, I don't know if you heard and of it. They have it down. Yeah. They have it down. Yeah. They have the platform, yes. But every single step of the way, I would have somebody call me and explain me what was going on, what each document meant. Yeah, this resonates because we've all been in buying processes that were just bad and you didn't know where you were and it went on too long. And we've all been in like really amazing buying processes where it's like, wow, this is fun. I'm actually enjoying this. And so it's such a great point. Even if you feel like you're doing well here, there's always going to be more opportunities to sort of up your game around customer experience and journeys. We almost have these conversations in silos where we have client acquisition conversations and then client service conversations. There's zero link to them. So I, I like how that's a kind of a fluid from start to finish. When I talk about scalability, I always focus on the whole journey because it involves the whole company. You cannot scale and you cannot provide a good client experience and a good customer journey without the whole company. It's not about lead generation. It's not about client servicing. And it's also about the handoff from one to the other. So it has to be integrated. So what happens with asset managers, they have a very, very high retention rate. Everybody in the industry has, you know, very little asset managers or financial advisors lose their clients, right? So we are very spoiled in the industry in a way. Let's say you're a Superman asset manager or financial advisor and you take care of 50 clients of the high net worth. That's it. If you really right. want to scale, you have to set up a process because if not, you're not, it's not going to grow. So basically, you're just betting on the growth of the AUM of your client. So I've heard you talk about creating an easy entry point with marketing. What did you mean by that? So let's say hedge funds. Hedge funds are really hard to convert. You have to grow that trust. But there are products that are easier that they don't need that much of the trust building. That's something that I always recommend. Like I, I had one of my interviews with the Beast of Wealth, my podcast that I really loved, was this woman that specializes only in Henry's, higher not rich yet. And her whole practice is about targeting them. And how do you re, you know, how do you convert them if they don't have money? They don't have enough money for you. You know, if you have the AUM strategy, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be profitable. So she made all this offering that is all about assessments, you know, and planning. But 
I think that is the way to go because, you know, whoever is in that seat that is not yet attractive to a financial advisor, but they are growing, that's the easy product to sell. So with my wife, especially, we talk a lot about values. Like, do, do we value this? Does this cost this? Do we, does our value equate to what this costs and vice versa? So you talk a lot about values-based branding. And I'd love for you to, to jump in and explain what that means in a business sense. For me, values-based branding is about what you believe in. And it, it's just about that, really. It's, you know, getting to the core and being, you know, never compromise what you believe in. The other day I was talking to somebody that was not much of a fan of Dave Ramsey. And I was like, that's fine. But that guy, he has a very strong system. You know where he stands. Yeah. You know where he stands and he has his followers. Mm -hmm. So your brand has to permeate. I know when I see something that I resonate with, but building so building a campaign or building a brand around it, it, it is is just a different bird. So I'll give you an example. A guy we had on the show last year, James Pollard, he's a marketing guy. He has a newsletter that's subscription-based. So when you subscribe to his newsletter, he tells you flat out, he, he actually doesn't promote this as, as much as I probably would, but the first month of the subscription goes to a charity organization that, that buys books for underserved communities. And, and I thought if you have a strong value compass, like what a better way to attract other people with that same value compass than say, look, look, we're putting our money where our mouth is. And so I can only imagine if a financial professional approached side and said, we we donate our first month's fee to to animal shelters in, in the Bay Area. Like, you, you like sign me up twice. I'm in. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. How do you know? I mean, just a, one more follow up on this. Like, so if I'm a financial professional, I'm sitting there and and they're nodding their head. I want values based marketing, but like, how do you assess that? You know, how do how do you know if you're doing that really well or you're not doing that really well? The other day, I was actually we were going through a strategic session with one of our clients, and he was the founder. And really, I I just found myself going through just like a kid. If you have kids, you've gone through this, like the why. Okay, but why? Yeah. Okay, but why? And then ask yourself why again. And until you find that answer that really resonates with what I call your, you know, your gut, your stomach, don't stop. Don't say, oh, because I want to help people. I want to make the world a better place. I'm like, no, <laughs> go deeper. And then if that doesn't work, another way of finding it is, and that worked with my client was, what makes you angry? Like what really like sets you up when you see it? In, in your case, it must be something about animals. If you see mistreatment of animals, you're going to say, yeah. you know, that makes me angry. So Definitely. why do you do it? So relating the younger with the core, that's where you start with the why. Once you really find the why of why you're doing what you're doing, then you can go about how you do it and then what you do. But once you really have that landed and really everybody buys into it and you have a team that really understands that and rolls with you in the same direction, then campaigns are just 
very easy to create. When it's authentic, you can tell. Like yeah. you were saying, when you're buying, when it's authentic, you can tell. That's amazing. We got to do that exercise, Kurt, with people. Just keep asking them why. Ask them why until they get mad. And until they, yeah, you, you know, you're really. <laughs> is it time for me to go now? <laughs> why? But why do I have to go? Okay. One of your interviews, you talked about people moving towards. Uh, these are quotes. Next, the next shiny object in marketing. It's just that you know, with marketing and digital marketing, you have so many things you know coming out every day, and if. We talk about like very, very old people before you had the newspapers and the ads on the streets. And that's about it. That's all you or maybe the yellow pages. And that was as creative as you could get. But now with, with digital, you have tools after tools after tools after tools that come out and, you know, and keep distracting you. So what I always propose is, you know, you have so much time and so much money, no matter who you are. You know, there is limited resources always. So don't get distracted with everything that comes out, but try to find where your client is. If you have a niche, your numbers are not going to be that huge. And if you know your client, you're going to know where to find them. It's not always about just doing it, doing, you know, all of your promotions on all the social media platforms or doing everything, you know, Find where they are and give them something meaningful to engage with you. That's excellent. You brought up something that a big topic for us that I think you can help with, which is niche marketing. So let's say I've gone through the process. I found what I think is the right niche for me. Then what do you advise people to do from there? Make that niche smaller. Interesting. <laughs> so you're Why? saying most of them you see are, are way too big and you got to narrow even further. Interesting. Yes. Mostly I mean, that's good advice from financial advisors. I always hear, Oh, retirees. Yeah. Right. Doctors, okay. women, doctors, right. <laughs> I found one, one, one guy was really good. He was actually, I spoke to a guy. He was like, I specialize in nurses in Florida. That was a good. Oh, there you, that's that was, specific. That was great. Very specific. Why? Because you have the laws of Florida. You have the benefits of Florida. You have, he knows the companies. He knows everything, you know. Yeah. So that was a good one. But generally, yeah, just make it smaller. Once you make it smaller, your conversation is easier. I always use myself as an example. Why? Because I started my business. I didn't, I didn't do that. I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm starting on my own. I'll just do marketing. And then... Whoever, you know, I, I, I helped a friend that had a furniture store. Oh, my God. That was the worst experience of my life. I wanted to do good. <laughs> I wanted to do good for them, but I had a long learning curve. And he just, you know, he just hired me because I was a friend, not because I had experience. But then once I started talking only to financial professionals and I sat down, they could tell that I knew the business. So the closing rate was much higher. I did not go after the credit cards. I did not go after retail companies. I did not go after large companies either, especially like medium and small companies. So whenever I sit down with them, the conversation is easy. So you have to look for the client with which the conversation is easy because they, say, they are like, oh my God, he understands. I've been, I've been helping a client with finding, um, because I help them with a lot of things, but 
with finding a CPA. And I realized, I'm like, wow. I was listening to a podcast and they were saying the, the tax code has 74,000 pages. Like, there's no CPA that's going to know your, what you need, you know, or all of the strategies that you can have. So I need a CPA specialized in a type of business. Right. And I'm looking for that. Once I find it, I know I'm going to be able to make the purchase pretty fast. So that's the financial advisors. You need to say, okay, look, if I help doctors, I help surgeons because surgeons have, I don't know, high, high ticketed insurance needs. So I know everything about insurance for surgeons, let's say. I don't know, but just go deeper. I, I think that's great advice. I want to talk about content creation. Do you have any wisdom around content creation? I think our clientele is very early in that game. Not many advisors are creating their own content. Depending on what firm you're at, you might not be able to create your own content. But I still think it informs how you communicate with clients. I've been in content creation my whole life, being a journalist too. So, Oh, wow. There are two things. One. Whenever you start a content marketing um, strategy, generally you you go too big. Get that list that you say, okay, I'm going to start my content marketing and you start and it cut in half. And then cut in half again. Because you say, oh, I'm going to do one blog post a week and I'm going to post every week. And I, no. You know it's not going to happen, right? And generally that it's... Around the beginning of the year, they say, you know, that's my objective. And then that never happens. So be realistic first with content creation. Second, don't try to compete with the big ones. And don't try to make a strategy that is going to generate leads. Make a strategy that is going to make your current leads more loyal. Gotcha. Convert your existing leads. Yes. There's a serious theme in this whole conversation, which is drill down, right? Like find your why, ask more questions, you know, Simon Sinek the hell out of this. Niche marketing, drill down. Content strategies, drill down. So that's that's like the, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but that's like the takeaway of this conversation is you're way too broad, drill down. Yeah, and with the the content marketing, we generally, we have a flow, for example, that we have designed that is very simple. We only create one piece of content a month. And I know it sounds like whenever I present it, they're like, what? You're <laughs> going to give me one piece of content? It's like too little. Like, okay, but it's but- probably really good though. That piece of content has to be good, but then repurpose it. There's nothing wrong with repurposing that article that you wrote into social media posts, into your blog post, into your LinkedIn, into your newsletter, into a catch-up email with your uh, clients on on your CRM. And then the catch is generally we do a webinar based on that piece of content or a podcast. And then if you need a lead generation process, 
use that podcast or that webinar as your lead generation. So that webinar will give your prospects an excuse to engage with you. And that's a whole new system that you activate into your lead generation process. So just creating content and expecting clients to come in and contact you, yeah, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah, Kurt and I got to get better at that. We have, like, we create each episode. We've got, was it, 36 now, Kurt? And we post it once, and we send one email about each individual episode. And a lot of people are listening, but we need to do the follow-up. We need to create that that LinkedIn post two months later that's like, hey, have you seen this? I just wrote that down, too. <laughs> yeah. You should also do segments. Extract little quotes. Do yeah. segments for your posts. Extract conclusions. And then whatever made you think of whoever, like whatever client on our conversation, you may have thought of some clients, send them that segment and say, hey, I just thought of you because of this. Yeah. There are a lot of things that you can do with one piece of content. So that's my content marketing strategy. Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. Oh, sorry. There is one thing that I also want to recommend that is yeah. very important that I work with clients always in content marketing. There are people that like to read. And there are people that I like to write. There are people that I like to speak. There are people that I like to, you know, just do video. Most people love video. We've seen that. The trends show, of course, that everybody consumes video. I'm, for example, the exception. I don't like video. I like to read. But the key for content marketing generation is to do it in the format that's easy for you. I've had too many clients that hate writing. I love writing. They hate writing. They're like, I cannot give you a piece of content. And then we end up doing a podcast. Or actually, sometimes they even send me like WhatsApp audios with ideas. And then that's easy to convert into content. Or my partner, for example, she's great at doodling. So we're going to do, we're doing some videos for with her, like doing graphics while she writes and explains oh, nice. the concept. So find the format that's easy for you to share your content. That's key. Well, we're up to our final question, 10 questions, and you've been doing an awesome job. Here's a final one. So I'm a financial professional and I decide, hey, I want to sit down and really develop a true marketing strategy, you know, define some of the concepts that we're talking about. What should that process look like for them? And what are some of the things that they should think about? Oh, wow. That's a whole process that we do. Phase number one, find your core value offering and who do you offer it to? Phase number two, compare yourself in the market. Compare yourself to how the others present themselves in terms of messaging and find your space. Phase number three, define your, what we call the content pillars. What do you talk about? What does your brand and yourself speak about? What is consistent throughout? You know, what, what's, your, what's your flag? What do you defend? What do you teach? And that's going to be what we call the content pillars. Then find, you know, I, I always recommend not more than two targets, not more than two stakeholders, and define how you're going to reach them. And do a calendar of communications and actions that's going to take you to engage with them. Just recently, for example, we start, started working with a client and we saw, you know, he engaged with us for lead generation. And throughout the process, we discover, no, 
You don't need niche generation. You actually need to sell more to your current clients. And that's very common too. So when you find your stakeholders, define who they are, find two, and then do a calendar of communications based on the first three phases that I, I spoke about. Really, really insightful stuff. I mean, this marketing piece is something that, that we all need to get much better at, us included, but certainly our clients. So we really appreciate you coming on. Tell everyone how they find you, what you're working on, about your podcast. Give us all that. Well, my podcast is thebeastofwealth.com. You can check it out. And then my my company is scalto.com, S-C-A-L-T-O.com. And you can find me everywhere. My I'm the only one, Alejandra Slatapolsky. It's very easy to find me on social media. So yeah. go ahead and reach out. Absolutely fantastic. And I think, Kurt, are, we in, are you and I doing her show at some point in the future? Oh, We're going to actually yes. have talk to us, talk to yes. our story and about two knuckleheads that created a podcast as wholesalers. That's going to be, yeah, very fun. Alejandro, thank you so, so much. We yes, really appreciate it. No, thank you, guys. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. We will be back with the Costanza Corner. This is The Whole Truth. Stick with us. And welcome back to our closing segment that we call the Costanza Corner, where we like to end the show on a high note. Steve, take it away. So not always when it comes to climate and climate change, not always a lot of positive stuff. You know, there was an article that came out this week about the state of the ice shelf. What I'd want to do is talk about the plus side, the solutions, and there are a lot of them coming our way. So here's something that just happened. A United Airlines flight from Chicago O'Hare to D.C. Reagan National is nothing to write home about, but the 100 people who were aboard United's recent Wednesday service were part of aviation history. They were on the first passenger aircraft flight ever to be powered by 100% plant-based jet fuel. So did you hear that? It's and no, and, yeah, yeah, and so That's it was wild. derived. It was is designed by I guess a company called Vi- Virent, V I R E N T, and derived from agricultural waste like corn cobs and stalks. So I, I if they were, no I wonder if they knew when they got on the flight that they were the first. But it was really just corn that it was flying this jet plane. <laughs> which, that might require an extra Xanax or something if if people knew about it. Yeah, but I mean that's that's pretty darn cool that a lot of these alternative. Fuels are becoming a reality, and I don't know how far off we are until they're becoming mainstream. But you know, that's good news to me. So that's good news. It's always I, I always like the science Costanza corners, just showing that how we're pushing boundaries there. And my own, you know, in my Neanderthal brain, I just keep thinking of the movie Ice Age because my kids watch that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I see this I stuff and like world. you know the the treatments for cancer that are coming through and all these things, and uh, you know, I love my job, and I'm like, man, Alzheimer's, all kinds uh, of stuff. Some, some people just have way more important jobs than I do. I will tell you right now in the development of these technologies. But anyways, this made me smile. We hope it uh, made you smile as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. 
It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.